You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 19, Roads to Rome. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritje. What we do here is we talk about Nirvana. We got a uh, message from a listener the other day who said that uh, listening to this podcast was like going to Nirvana University. Wow. Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> yeah, that's very high praise maybe. Yeah. Just, well, just a bit too much credit for us, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice compliment. Yeah, well, you never know. As long as there is no Nirvana University, then I I accept that this is the standard, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Until another uh, podcast pops up and does a better job than we do. Exactly. Until <laughs> <laughs> that moment, we are the Nirvana University. Yes, cool. So welcome, Professor. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, during this course, we uh, basically uh, basically go through the entire history of uh, the band Nirvana and uh, their, um, well, pretty much uh, entire um, musical catalog as well. Yeah, and, um, and if you're listening to this, um, be prepared because we might quiz you hmm. and grade we you. We might. But we might not. But just so you know, be prepared. <laughs> and you have to answer by just saying out loud the answer. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to send us a message or anything. Just say it out loud while listening to this. Yep. Because that way you can uh, keep your hands free to send us a message uh, about other things. Maybe you want to uh, ask us a question or maybe you have a comment about what we're doing here. You're very welcome to do so. And uh, you can send us an email at surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Why uh, we have this bizarre email address uh, would be a nice uh, <laughs> question to see um, if you have listened to all our episodes. Yes, this is this is for the, uh, the, the bonus grade. <laughs> yeah, I think we've explained our email address in the very yeah. first uh, podcast we did. Yeah, uh, you can also find us on uh, Facebook, by the way, and uh, send us a message uh, there. It's uh, facebook.com/slash/nirvana-podcast. And we would also appreciate it if you would uh, give us a nice uh, rating or review or perhaps um, share our podcast uh, on your social media feed or send it to friends who may be interested in Nirvana as well. That being said, uh, let's uh, go back in time to 1994, yes. uh, beginning of this very uh, yeah tragic year, uh, I think we can uh, safely say. Yep. I think the first thing that happened that year that's, uh, that is worth mentioning would be... Uh, to say that the Cobain family, uh, they bought a house. Um, you've been to Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Have you visited uh, the, the house? No, I have not. One of the reasons being that it's actually so uh, far away and remote uh, that it's not like a <laughs> an easy day trip to uh, to do. And also because there's not really anything to see there. Uh, so I did... A lot of um, Nirvana and and music related stuff while in Seattle, uh, but consciously chose to skip visiting the house because I was like, "Well, I can go all the way there, and yeah, for what?" Then you stand in the street, you look at the house, and you say, uh, "Oh, right, that's the house." Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now I, what? I, I, yeah, I felt that there 
wasn't anything for me there that that would warrant the trip. So I happily spent it on uh, a lot of other, um, well, like I said, music-related uh, stuff in Seattle and other locations that that sort of felt more relevant uh, to me. And um, the house was in quite a fancy neighborhood, right? Yes, a very fancy neighborhood. Apparently, uh, the the CEO of Starbucks was their uh, next door neighbor. <laughs> Um, which uh, makes sense if you know that Starbucks is uh, a Seattle-based company. It was an expensive house. There weren't uh, a lot of people like uh, Kurt and Courtney there. I think that... Um, well, there weren't a lot of people like Kurt and Courtney. Anyway, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, no, but it's an area where there's a lot of like old money, so to say. So a, a different kind of rich than pop star rich. Um, and I think that one of the guys from REM actually lived there as well. Yeah, I think so too. But that was sort of the only other <laughs> rock star. And, and I think it was Peter Buck, which is like the whole of REM is, is pretty um, <laughs> normal compared to, uh, to uh, uh, Kurt and Courtney, I guess. But um, so it was an area that... Well, for some reason, they liked it. I think the house is beautiful, the the whole area around it and the garden. And I also think that having a small child uh, helped in that decision and also being in Seattle, but not being like in the midst of things. I mean, Kurt needed his privacy, obviously, um, and Courtney as well. So this might have been a, a good choice to sort of take it easy and uh, just have a large house and garden. He only spent in total a month and a half there or something like yep. that. Pretty uh, soon after that, they hit the road with the band. Yeah. And then uh, time, time was up. So it's still crazy that people always uh, think of Nirvana as a, as a Seattle band. And it's not really <laughs> the case. No, 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 definitely not. You're totally right. <laughs> What they did do in Seattle is have uh, another... Uh, uh, A studio session. Yep. Um, the last uh, uh, three days of, uh, of uh, January, uh, they booked some time uh, at the Robert Lang Studios. Um, but unfortunately, the first two days, uh, Kurt didn't show up. Nope. He didn't uh, let the, uh, Chris and Dave know here uh, anything. Um, so they were uh, in the studio uh, together. And decided to work on some music that Dave was uh, was writing. Yep. In a way, they made the first Foo Fighters demos. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Because there were a couple of songs that they recorded that eventually ended up on the Foo Fighters album. Uh, re-recorded, obviously, but still, um, they they became Foo Fighters songs. So, yeah. Well, at least it was time well spent. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's very uh, notable that uh, Pat wasn't invited to studio session sessions no that's true later kurt would jam with pat yeah and with pat and uh, eric erlandson the the guitarist from uh, from hall but his his job was officially to be like a, a touring member and uh, and they stuck to it yeah that's actually quite interesting i hadn't thought about that before you said it but I mean, they could have easily invited him because they all got along great and he's a good guitarist but Yeah, for some reason they didn't. Um, maybe it was a contract thing as well. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it was because they heard him sing at 
unplugged and <laughs> decided to keep you out of the studio. <laughs> no, sorry, Pat. Didn't mean it like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, true. Yeah. So there's still a threesome. Exactly. Um, and, and, and so uh, the first two days, like we said, they worked on songs as, um, as Exhausted and Big Me and, and Butterflies, which all became uh, Foo Fighters songs. But the third day, Kurt did show up. They uh, started playing together, um, did, some, uh, did some recordings. Uh, some of uh, those recordings um, are still shelved, I think. Yeah. What we do have is, uh, first of all, uh, a jam they, uh, they did. Now, I must admit that I took this one from YouTube, so I can't be 100% sure that this is the actual recording, but I think it sounds pretty... Uh, pretty authentic uh so let's uh, listen to um, uh, nirvana jam for uh, what would turn out to be their uh, final uh, studio session Are you as uh, convinced as I am that um, this is probably the the real Nirvana playing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the drums especially are very uh, Dave Grohl-like. Um, it is interesting that you mainly hear drum and, and bass um, and just a little bit of guitar. Um, that would fit with the whole Kurt coming in later and, and maybe being less in, in tune with what the others were doing. Um, on the other hand, um, what I think is also interesting is that this sounds quite um, heavy and, again, more like in the Foo Fighters vein maybe than in what Nirvana was doing at that moment. Um, I guess we'll never know, but um, apparently Kurt was... Um, kind of fed up with the whole <laughs> Nirvana thing during that period. I mean, he he said so before and often, and like he he started January with like being tired, not not wanting to go on tour again, uh, tired from the U- U.S. tour, um, annoyed about a lot of things, uh, heavy drug abuse, uh, stomach aches. Um, so that were all things to consider when discussing <laughs> what kind of mm. uh, direction he wanted to go in musically. But um, he apparently wanted to do something with Mark Lennigan with like strings and whatever. And he was talking to Michael Stipe from REM to work together. And so that all suggests going into musically a different direction than the sort of sound that you're hearing now in this jam so yeah that's that's quite interesting actually there was a lot of speculation about their um, musical direction they were going in Um, especially after doing the uh, unplugged session that uh, a lot of people thought wow this is like they found their new their new sound and their new way to go and um, um, Gert himself actually um, said so in an official interview with uh, Rolling Stone magazine, um, he said, uh, I know we're going to uh, put out one more uh, record at least, and I have a pretty good idea uh, what it's going to sound like. 
pretty etherical acoustic like R.E.M.'s last album, referring to uh, R.E.M.'s album Automatic for the People, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is my favorite uh, R.E.M. Uh, album. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so he said he wanted to go in that direction, but when they actually hit the studio, that's not what they were doing at all. No. So um, I don't know why would you... And I, I get it for a jam, but uh, let's listen to the only... Uh, proper song that they recorded that day yeah um yeah let's do that first and then uh, talk a bit more about it Yeah, and maybe it's just me, but that doesn't sound uh, like something that could be on uh, automatic for the people. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But um, I think that like there there is a a really big melodic side to this song. I think, um, and if you would imagine this song being done by REM. Um, no, it wouldn't be <laughs> like automatic for the people material. Um, but it's not, it's not totally unthinkable. I think, I think with a different arrangement, um, the, the core of this song could still be melodic. Um, you could definitely add yeah, strings sure, to sure, this. But, but, um, but they were writing, um, Kurt was writing melodic songs for, uh, yeah, for a pretty long time. And, um, the thing is that they didn't work on a, a different arrangement or nope. Nope. maybe True. play it with um, uh, acoustic uh, guitars no. or, or anything. So, yeah, it, it's just not what they were doing. No, I think there is also obviously a big discrepancy between <laughs> what what you say you want and what you're doing. Like that, that goes for everybody. And I think especially for somebody like Kurt during that period, um, being being stuck um in in his mind with a lot of things um that he might have wanted to do stuff like that but couldn't like muster up the courage to actually pull through and and actually go for it or say it to the other band members because i think we can safely assume that the whole like let's go more into rem terrain thing was probably more Kurt than the other two. Um, yeah, you, you don't yeah, know. Maybe, you maybe, don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe after doing the uh, MTV Unplugged uh, uh, show, um, Dave and Chris were into it as well. I mean, maybe yeah. Chris thought, well, you know, I want to play my uh, accordion a bit more. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Well, I think in any case... And maybe Dave got attached to those uh, weird uh, red and white sticks. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the red and white sticks. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, who knows? I, I don't know. Like, I think since they were working on Dave's songs, I think Dave and Chris were probably in their mind working on that kind of material, which is also different again. And it was probably not the right time to book a studio session anyway. I mean, I don't know how that came to be, right. but 
with them finishing the US-Canadian tour at the beginning of January and then having like a month off and then having to go to Europe. It sort of feels like a weird moment to do a studio session. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure what what the purpose was. No, no idea. To me, it would seem a bit more logical to have uh, rehearsal sessions. For yeah, the exactly. Half of the their in utero tour yeah i don't know and uh well obviously kurt wasn't into it that much because he didn't bother showing up the first two days and uh yeah and also perhaps he was wondering if um that if he wanted to explore that more acoustic singer songwriter folk music style perhaps he thought it, that it would be better to do that with um different people yeah like you said mark lanigan michael stipe uh, or maybe as a, as a solo artist yeah um um Right. Um, by the way, if you want to know a bit more about how uh, You Know You're Right, um, the song we just listened to, uh, could also uh, sound. Um, it's on the uh, Holes uh, Unplugged album. Oh, yeah, uh, album. it's true. Yeah. Um, then it's titled uh, You've Got No Right. Mm-hmm. And also uh, we have a, a solo acoustic demo uh, that, uh, that Kurt made. So um, I propose we're going to listen to that solo demo and then, uh, and then uh, move on. Yep. Are you okay with that? Yes. Okay, cool. it through I could never promise you some planes followed you I will never want it through some mean love again some never have a fan And of course, uh, this song would be uh, released years later after a very long and nasty legal battle between uh, Courtney and uh, and Dave and uh, and Chris. But uh, yep. that's a story for uh, for perhaps another time. Mm-hmm. So um, after these sessions, the band uh, flew over to uh, to Europe. The first stop was in uh, France, which yep. is. Uh, the, the country you're uh, residing in uh, at the moment? Yes, they didn't come to Bordeaux, though, so... Mm, that's a shame. No, uh, no local stories. <laughs> and like you said, Kurt wa- actually didn't really want to do the tour. No. Nope. I think he was uh, exhausted and not feeling well enough to, to pull it off. And uh, the weird thing is that they have a, a pretty uh, intense uh, touring schedule. Yeah, that schedule is like... I mean, it's less bad than the previous European tour, but thinking about how Kurt had to be convinced to actually go ahead with it already like some time ago before they even went. And then looking at that tour schedule, it's like five shows a week and traveling throughout Europe, which is exhausting as well. It's not like just the miles that you have to travel, but also the different cultures and the different languages and and whatever. So I'm pretty surprised that they had a schedule like this. But maybe the idea was like, do as much as we can, as fast as we can, and then go back. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Seems grueling, especially for somebody who didn't want to do it in the first place. And yeah, like you said, um, especially Kurt was 
definitely not doing well, both mentally and physically. So this wasn't the best way to um, to start the tour. No, and uh, that that really puzzles me. I mean, how come nobody in the surrounding said, "Okay, if you're going to do the tour, take it easy." Yeah, somebody should have demanded that. And well, best thing would be if Kurt himself would have said, "Well, uh, I'm only going to do the tour under the, these circumstances." Yeah, like enough days off. I mean, he he had a status to do that, right? He could have said, yeah. uh, "I'm not going unless yeah, you're willing to." to arrange it in a way that I think I'm able to do it and I actually feel like doing it? I think that probably nobody looked at it like that. I mean, don't forget that they were part of like a really big organization and Kurt eventually agreed to do a tour and I assume that he wasn't in the right mindset to then actually look at the whole tour schedule and complain about it. And that the people who were making the schedule, because it's not easy um, (laughs) to make a schedule like that, they were probably really happy that they could cram it all in there. And there has been nobody who said, like, why are we doing it like this? They did have a a space in between. Apparently, that was something that Kurt had specifically demanded, um, to have a kind of a holiday in between. Apparently, because Courtney was also touring Europe. So they could, they could sort of meet in the middle, uh, yeah. <laughs> which also feels like really weird to have like your wife touring a continent and you touring the same continent, but in different places. Like, it's all yeah. weird. <laughs> that, that's the life of a rock star family, I, I, I suppose. And I must say, I'm not sure if Courtney was touring. Uh, she was finishing, uh, working on her and maybe finishing up her new uh, album. And doing press stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure if she was actually touring, but I'm not sure. I, I know she that she was. Sure. Yeah, I know she was in London to do something for work at one moment during that period. So yeah, not sure. You could be right, but at least they were traveling as well. So yeah, yeah. right. So um, first thing they did in Europe was uh, do a TV performance on French uh, television show. And this is a pretty remarkable appearance, I think. First of all, because um, they all um, decided to suit up. So instead of sloppy, uh, um, messy, uh, grunge guys, they got very well-dressed, uh, uh, almost business-like <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, young men in the in the studio, which makes uh, yeah, a very uh, notable um, uh, picture, uh, I think. And also, um, they look pretty good. Definitely. I'm not 100% sure why they wore the suits. It was a one-time thing. I've heard different explanations um, for it. One being that they were booked in a sort of uh, strange um, TV show and they wanted to mess with that just a bit because it didn't feel like they were on the right show. (laughs) It was more like like a... cabaret entertainment <laughs> show I, I i don't know uh another thing i've heard is that it was some sort of uh tribute to somebody i'm i don't know no. do you have any ideas no no I, I, like you said there's different stories there's also i read a story that it had to do something with something french specifically that it that it referred to but i don't really know what that was about so but it must have been something that they thought of well before 
they did it because somebody had to get those suits, right? I mean, (laughs) it wasn't spur of the moment. It's at least that morning that, that they thought of it. So, yeah. And it looks uh, it looks uh, interesting. Yep. Uh, another thing that really uh, stands out from this performance is that at one point uh, Kurt has problems with his guitar and decides uh, to uh, to smash it and uh, um, finish the song uh, just as a singer, mm-hmm. which is something that well we've pretty much never seen before. Oh. Just him, especially Kurt standing with a mic stand. <laughs> <laughs> so he looks it's really weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's weird, and, and it looks like he's not at ease with it. Also, uh, Pat really uh, proves his uh, his worth here, his value, mm-hmm. because, uh, well, uh, without Pat, they wouldn't have been able to finish the song <laughs> no. because then no, they would true. have had no guitar at all. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it's because of the frustration that his uh, guitar uh, abandoned him and uh, and refused his uh, to do his job, but uh, the Drain You Scream is uh, one of the best he's ever done, I think. So uh, let's have a listen to first um, guitar breakdown and then uh, the scream. think we've talked before about how some fans sort of make lists of uh, drain you screams and uh, uh, this <laughs> yeah. is a very uh this is one that uh, ranks pretty good yeah it's cool <laughs> I'd, I'd put it uh, somewhere on the top definitely <laughs> yeah me too so so that was um, um their first uh, tv show in uh, in france then they left the country went to portugal went to spain and then they came back to do a couple of live uh, shows yeah one of those shows was on a valentine's day in uh, in paris yes um, during the day they had a photo shoot and i think one of the last photo shoots that they did um, that's where those uh, pretty famous pictures were taken with kurt uh, and a gun yeah which he posed with toyed around with and also uh, put in his mouth and pointed at the camera which um I'm sure was fun at that moment, but it's pretty, uh, pretty disturbing and alarming and uh, sad to see. Um, yeah, knowing yeah. what would happen uh, pretty soon after that. Yeah, definitely. And also strange that these pictures were taken in France because um, if you're a listener from the US, you might not realize it. But in Europe, the the weapon laws are different from <laughs> uh, the US. So um, doing a photo shoot with a pistol in uh, Paris is not legal. <laughs> it's a fake gun, I think. I think. Yeah, but even even if, if it's fake, as soon as it looks real, you're going to yeah. get into trouble. So it would be less logical for a European public to do a photo session with a gun 
fake or not. So that, to me at least, makes it even even more poignant to to have that photo shoot and also i think well why would you also cram in a photo shoot during this tour why not just have a a photo shoot uh back home and then um, send those pictures out to magazines that (laughs) exactly requested them yeah and that that goes the same for doing a tv show by the way i mean back then tv shows were more important because there was less internet on the other hand, they had like how many shows in, in France? Like six or something like that. Yeah, um, something like that. They were big already, so they could have done without a TV show, I guess. But yeah, that's probably like um, <laughs> record companies well, I, uh, doing uh, things like that. Well, I, I, I get the TV show because they had an album to promote and it's an, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way to reach a lot of people. So it was probably wasn't for uh, ticket sales, but to sell the album. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, true. I, I understand that, but the photo shoot, not really. Um, anyway, that same night uh, they performed in Paris. Mm-hmm. A really good show. Yeah. And uh, we got an email from uh, from a listener uh, about a week ago. And he had a, a question about the final song that they played that night, uh, which was uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Uh, in my opinion, a, a great, great version, although mm-hmm. it hasn't been recorded properly, but you could still hear that it was really, really good. Our listener uh, wrote in and said uh, that he's hearing an instrument that, that seems a bit out of place. It sounds a bit like a banjo. And I've asked you uh, to uh, research this uh, <laughs> this case. <laughs> Let's first have a listen uh, yep. to the song and then have a listen to your theory. Yep. Especially at the end, you could hear the supposed uh, banjo uh, pretty clear. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious uh, what you're going to come up with. Yeah, well, um, um, I, I have to do a disclaimer. Like, I am not a guitar expert, uh, not a banjo expert either. But I found this intriguing, so I tried to do some research. And I think I know what's happening here, but... Like I said, I can't be sure. So if somebody is listening to this and is like, oh, you're totally wrong, please let me know. As far as we know, there weren't any other instruments uh, during this show other than 
the normal instruments that the band had with them. They had the cellist with them, not Lori, but um, Laura Krieger, um, who joined them for the European tour. So basically, that were the instruments that were on there. However, Kurt had an extra acoustic guitar, one that he'd had for not that long, I think, a couple of months. You can see it also in the unplugged MTV Unplugged uh, videos because he has it with him on stage as an extra. He doesn't actually use it, but there is a guitar behind him that has like a label on it that says Nixon now. <laughs> it's uh, the, the Richard Nixon uh, um, <laughs> presidential campaign sticker. Um, not sure if that was on there when he bought it or that he put it on himself later, but yeah, that's a whole different uh, different story. Um, but yeah. anyway, that's a guitar which is called uh, it's, it's an Epiphone. It's called a Texan, and apparently it's from 1961. He brought that guitar with him, but he usually didn't use it. On this show, he used it uses it to play this song, and this specific guitar has a really different sound to it than the guitar that he usually would use. Um, so it sounds uh, lighter. Like when you, you can, I'll, I'll spare you all the details. Like I said, I'm not an expert, but when you go on the internet and uh, you can like listen to samples of how this guitar sounds compared to other guitars and you can compare it to, for instance, the uh, guitar that uh, he used for Unplugged, the one that we talked about last time that was sold for lots of money, uh, which was a, a, a Martin 28E, uh, 1959, so two years older. Um, and there's a really different sound between the two. And when you listen to the sound of that Epiphone, you can definitely imagine that it would be able to make these more, well, let's keep calling them banjo-like sounds, because it has a lighter sound. Um, it has more of a sort of a folksy feeling to it. And obviously, it's also a matter of technique. Yeah, I think it's very, uh, very convincing. Um, my guess was also that it was probably just a guitar sounding a bit like a banjo. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I didn't uh, do uh, such a, a thorough uh, study of it uh, as you did. <laughs> So um, thank you for the lec yeah. uh, lecture, uh, Professor. I have a, a, final, uh, a final note on this uh, guitar, uh, which you will like as a uh, Beatles fan, because uh, the Epiphone Texan was actually also a guitar that was extensively used by Paul McCartney, which is um, uh, probably, although nobody I've, I've read about can, can confirm that for sure, but a reason for Kurt to also be here. Uh, interested in this instrument so although Kurt also said that he really hated Paul McCartney <laughs> once, uh, yeah in, a, yeah in an interview with a Dutch magazine described how he would like to kill <laughs> Paul McCartney but, <laughs> yeah but yeah. he also conveniently played his own guitar left-handed even though he was right-handed so that might be a plus for Paul McCartney I don't know and he made a, a solo recording of uh, And I Love Her, which is exactly. a Paul McCartney song. So Yeah. 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 Anyway. So I, I, I think that's a very, very convincing explanation. One thing that I would like to add to it is that he could also use some um, effects on his uh, guitar to mm -hmm. make it uh, sound even more 
banjo-y. Yep. Can I can I add another uh, um, guitar fun fact? Um, of course. N- not about this guitar, but on one of the other shows in France, um, Kurt apparently actually gave one of his electric guitars away to a uh, fan. And that guy later on, I think 2006, something like that, uh, sold it for a lot of money and gave some great interviews about it, um, being like, oh, I'm, I'm happy because Kurt Cobain wasn't just my hero, but he's now helping me shape my future because, uh, because I could sell his guitar for so much money, (laughs) which I thought was kind of funny and nice because he meant it in a nice way. But yeah, why Kurt would give away guitars, it's not very clear to me. Yeah, well, um, he was at a point in his career that he could afford a lot of guitars. And True. It's also uh, pretty well known that um, he knew what guitars to smash and what yep. guitars he didn't want to smash. <laughs> yeah, this, so, this wasn't uh, an expensive one. I mean, the guy no, got a lot of not. money for it because Kurt played it, not because it wasn't an expensive guitar. Yeah, of course. So maybe he thought, well, you know, that seems like a nice guy. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe you could see that he was a here's real my, Here's my guitar or... and don't, don't, don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean he would give uh yeah, some some fans would get good advice and some fans would get a guitar. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, whatever. That was just another guitar French guitar story I wanted to share. Is it still a thing uh in in France? Does it come up in conversations like, "Oh, yeah, there was a legendary show when Nirvana was in France." As you know, the the Paradiso uh, show in Amsterdam is still talked about amongst fans and radio DJs and, and, and stuff like that. And there's been a documentary made about uh, Nirvana uh, being in the Netherlands. Um, is it the same in France? I'm not sure. I, I haven't heard that being said specifically. Um, I must say there is obviously a really big tradition of great shows in Paris, like this one was. Um, I can think of a couple by other artists that have been legendary as well. So I think they're quite used to um, <laughs> Paris, especially being uh, being a place where a lot of musical magic has happened, which obviously is also true for the Paradiso in Amsterdam. Um, so, uh, so no, I haven't heard that specifically, uh, to be honest, no, but there are a lot of Nirvana fans here. So that's good. Okay, cool. So then, uh, the band, uh, leaves France and, uh, moves to, uh, Italy mm-hmm. and, uh, there they have another, uh, TV performance. And I think this is totally different than the one they did in, uh, in France because, um, Kurt looks horrible. If you look at the, at the, at the footage, he looks Sad, tired, gray, with no energy or spark or anything like that whatsoever. When was it? Do you know the date by any chance? Uh, Yes, because I've opened up uh, day-by-day Nirvana history of uh, uh, the great website Mm -hmm. livenirvana.com. They did their last show in France uh, on... uh, February the 18th. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Then was Kurt's birthday. Yeah. The, 20, uh, the exactly. 20th. And then they had 
the 23rd was their uh, show for uh, Italian TV. Right. So it was about three weeks later. Yeah, you just mentioned that the 20th was Kurt's birthday. When you read like the books and also the interviews with people who were there at the time, I think that was sort of a low point for him in a lot of ways, feeling alone, feeling that he should be really not going ahead with the tour, uh, maybe dismantling the band, whatever. Um, I think that being on the road was definitely taking its toll already and that this was definitely a, a low point. So I can imagine that he would look this bad, unfortunately. And wasn't uh, Courtney supposed to um, visit him on his birthday but yeah. then couldn't make it? Yeah, that's true. That's That's one of the stories as well, that that she wasn't able to be there so yeah, yeah. that didn't but, help but still it's so it's 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 really heartbreaking to see him uh only three weeks after the french tv performance now on the in- italian uh, tv on what seems to me a pretty stupid show by the way with very annoying hosts <laughs> but maybe that's just maybe that's just me if there's any italian listeners out there i really don't want to disrespect you but Italian TV is is weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, Italians are are really good at making TV and doing like big shows and and like showy shows. Um, if, if it makes sense to <laughs> describe it like that, but that also sometimes makes it look a bit silly and and maybe not the right place for a band like Nirvana to be uh, to be on. So uh, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. It's a bit of a, a, a cultural uh, cultural thing, I think. Yeah, they seem very uh, very out of place. And also, uh, when they're playing Serve the Servants, at one point, Chris tries to connect with Kurt and starts jumping a bit, but Kurt doesn't respond. Mm. He just stands there, plays the song. That's about it. And uh, the sad thing, I think, is that uh, it's very well documented that they weren't getting along anymore very no. well and not basically stopped talking with each other. But on stage, they always had a great connection. Yeah. Despite all their personal problems and whatever was going on. But uh, even that is gone now. So that's yeah. pretty uh, sad. pretty sad. They performed uh, Serve the Servants for the TV show, but they also did a dumb for the uh, sound check. Apparently because the a, a cellist was hanging around anyway. So somebody <laughs> said, oh... Let's play a song that that can feature uh, the the cello, uh, which is the reason why I would uh, propose to play "Dumb" instead of "Serve the Servants." Yep. Uh, unless you disagree and have a no. Well, then uh, here we go.
<laughs> it's not on my uh, recording, but uh, apparently uh, you can hear um, Kurt uh, say a shut up to the audience because when they start playing this song, uh, they were clapping along. It annoyed him. <laughs> oh, oh, I can, I can I totally feel that. I didn't hear it that. myself, so I can't, can't con- <laughs> confirm it. But at the end, you can hear the, the Italian host um, start talking before the song is finished. Yeah. Which is it's rude. Really annoying already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's rude. Yeah, that's right. I uh, I just uh, was thinking about something when when you were playing this, uh, which which is interesting. I think to mention is I read um, an interview with the cellist Laura Krieger. Well, like we said, she came in for the European leg of the tour, so she was new um, to the band and and new to the whole thing uh, of of playing with them um and apparently there was uh, a disagreement between kurt and christ um on what she would do uh, with her cello because uh it seems that christ was saying to her like just do what's on the album <laughs> or whatever yeah. and and kurt was like no just just do some improvisation and do whatever you feel is right and, and, and have fun with it. And yeah, that, that was confusing to her. Um, and I think maybe because we were talking about the disagreements about which way to go with the music, um, this could have been something that, um, illustrates, um, either the difference in ideas about music or on the other hand, um, it could also be Chris just trying to do some damage control um, <laughs> and making sure that the shows go as well as they can go because he obviously knew that Kurt was unpredictable as well. So yeah, could be a bit of both maybe, but yeah, it's interesting. But, but in the end, Kurt was calling the shot, right? Yep. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it, he had the final word, and uh, I think you can hear that. Uh, I really like uh, um, the recordings with this uh, cellist, yep, because she plays different melodies, and we could also hear that um, on the on the the, the rendition of uh, "Where Did You Sleep Last Night?" Uh, yep. We just uh, played from from Paris. Um, so yeah, I, I like it if she just uh, takes the liberty to you know make yep. up stuff and don't play the same exact notes every evening. Uh, so uh, I'm uh, I'm Team Kurt. Uh, on this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends depends on on which chalice because we had a part in a previous episode that didn't work out <laughs> as far as the improvisation uh, went. But um, in uh, in this case for uh, for her, uh, I think she uh, she was a great addition, and uh, I would have loved to uh, hear her do more or be on more official recordings uh, to um, enjoy her work with Nirvana. Yeah, right. So uh, they played a couple of uh, uh, shows afterwards in uh, in uh, Italy, um, and at that point, it became apparent that Kurt just wanted to to abandon the whole thing. Yeah. According to Chris, um, Kurt decided to keep going just a bit longer uh, because they had a show in Slovenia coming up, which is in a part of Europe where a lot of uh, Chris's uh, relatives uh, were from, and we're gonna go uh, and uh, and see him perform. So. Um, yeah, the story there is that Kurt, maybe for Chris, decided to keep on going just just a bit longer so they could uh, play that show, which yep. is a very nice gesture, I think, mm-hmm. if that's actually the case. <laughs> I think uh, it it definitely is a nice gesture, and I don't rule out that that was something that was important to him. 
On the other hand, he had also heard from the tour manager how much it would cost to uh, <laughs> basically uh, quit and go home. Uh, so I think the pressure was on to at least play as many shows as possible. And I can, I can totally see the whole tour management like running around every day trying to make sure that Kurt wasn't going anywhere but to the stage. So yeah. Which didn't work out uh, that well. No, nope, a lot of the times not. because uh, it's been reported that sometimes he said he uh, was going to go to the train station, uh, which uh, and everybody knew what he was going to do, yeah. do there. Um, see if he could get some drugs. Uh, obviously, in the end, they did play the uh, Slovenian uh, show, and then they moved on to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the March first, uh, they played in the Munich uh, in what would be their uh, their final performance. Yep. Ever. So I, I have a few um, clips from that show uh, lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, they started the evening by playing a cover of uh, The Cars, uh, the song uh, My Best Friend's Girl. So, um, yeah, let's listen to that first and then uh, talk a bit about it. So yeah, that was a pretty uh, remarkable way to open the show. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm I'm not even sure if the German audience would have recognized that song. I mean, the cars were also known in Europe, but they weren't that big. And I don't think that Nirvana ever really mentioned them as one of the bands that they liked or whatever. So no. I I can I can assume a lot of fans in the audience were like, what the hell is going on? Because it's obviously not the Nirvana sound. So yeah. No. Although they do pull it off in a way. I mean Yeah, it's nice. Clearly a, like a like a spontaneous idea to oh let's do that one and then it it came out pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, it's uh, the original as well. Is is like a real nice new wavy rock pop song, and yeah, this version gets the same kind of vibe. So yeah. But if I would have been in the audience, and at first I would hear like the uh, uh, introduction uh, sounds of uh, radio friendly oh, unit yeah, shifter, right, yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you get then, this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would be like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. what are they doing? I mean, you expect like a, a cover or a jam, like halfway to show something like yeah. that. <laughs> not not <laughs> an opening song, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's fun. There's also some speculation about people saying that, yeah, he wanted to sing this one because he was angry with Courtney and they had problems. And it's, uh, you know, it's about uh, my best friend's girl. So a girl that he liked and lost and was heartbroken and whatever. I 
personally, I think that's way too far fetched. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, they they had a, played like like a snippet of this song a couple of years earlier. Yep. So it wasn't a new thing to do. Um, why would he play a complete song just to <laughs> send a message to Courtney, who wasn't even there? <laughs> exactly, she wasn't there, and and it sounds too contrived for somebody who was in the mental state that Kurt was in um, because he was just like, let's say impulsive, I think is the best word. And, and doing a whole cover like this isn't impulsive. That's just uh, something you think about beforehand. And a lot of it's been written about the problems that he and Courtney had and I'm sure we'll get to talk about that sooner or later as well but I think sooner it's sooner yeah <laughs> like it's easy to to use that as an excuse for basically anything and make it into like it I mean it is a sort of a, a, a rock and roll story like oh yeah two musicians and they get into a fight and then they use songs to spite the other and whatever, but yeah, it's no. <laughs> yeah, they, they weren't Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> no, definitely. That's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they weren't in each other's band, so that, that definitely no. didn't make them Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't think it's, uh, it's the case. Um, people also say that about the Where Did You Sleep Last Night performance, both in Paris as uh, in the uh, MTV Unplugged session that, you know, that he aimed it at um, Courtney. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure he, he he was playing that song for years. So exactly. He liked the song just... and, and maybe there was a moment when he sang it and something happened with Courtney and he thought about her while singing it. I don't know. I mean, sure. I mean, maybe he uh, screamed just a bit louder on Drain You after his <laughs> guitar broke down. That's possible. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but that but that doesn't mean that there weren't any problems because there were. And um, apparently before the uh, this uh, last show, they did have a fight uh, over the phone. Kurt phoned his uh, entertainment lawyer, uh, Rosemary Carroll, and uh, um, stated that he wanted to get a divorce. Yeah, Carroll has confirmed this, but also said, yeah, that is indeed what he said. But on the other hand, that could also be something that he blurted out in the heat of the moment. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, um, what people need to remember is that we are talking about a uh, still very young rock star who had mental issues, who had um, uh, severe uh, drug-related problems, and who was on a grueling tour schedule. So all of that together does not make somebody of sound mind. <laughs> I think in, in life, we all always tend to connect the dots and make a story be a proper story. I mean, that's what storytelling is all about. Like you have like a beginning, a middle and an end, and every main character in a story has a purpose of doing what he does. But at the same time, people are not like that. And people with mental issues and drug issues certainly are not like that. So Kurt could could say or want or do one thing one moment and then something else uh, another moment. And even though 
everything comes from a genuine feeling. Yeah, obviously they had a lot of fights and <laughs> for him to call his lawyer and say like, I want a divorce. Yeah, that's something that he wanted at that moment. But let's not make it bigger than it was. Um, they had issues. Um, and yeah, maybe if, if he hadn't died, they eventually had gotten divorced or maybe not. We'll never know. Um, yeah. it's the kind of explosive relation that there was. And I think the same goes for the whole band. Um, I think Buzz Osborne said in, in an interview because the Melvins were there, uh, supporting them that Kurt had told him like, I want out of everything I do with other people. So I want out of my marriage. I want out of the band. I want, like, I want to go solo <laughs> in everything. I think he felt crowded and, and misunderstood yeah. by people. And yeah, then things like this happen and, uh, sad. Yeah. And in the end, nobody knows what their real issues were and, and what was going on except themselves and maybe yeah. some people who were close to them but those people tell different story and have their own perspective and their yeah. own memories of, of of that and and yeah so we'll we'll never know but i think it's safe to say that they did have issues yeah and they definitely. did fight a lot and so that wasn't that wasn't helping no nope. but uh, it wasn't helping with kurt's mental state but on the other hand the opposite is true as well kurt's mental state for sure wasn't helping having a, a, a healthy uh, marriage and, nope. and relationship. And Courtney was a troubled person as well and had a big character and had uh, problems of her own. So yeah, that, yeah, that all reinforces uh, each other. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then in the end, there's only one thing you can do and that's uh, cover the cars and play uh, <laughs> exactly my best friend's girl in Germany. Yeah. That's uh, one and one <laughs> equals two. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second um, moment I selected from their uh, final uh, show was uh, Comechoir. And pretty soon it'll be clear why. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, a power cut. Yeah. <laughs> so and I think it's nice that you can hear the audience sing along just yeah. for just like like half a second before yeah. everybody starts screaming. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they sing along until they realize what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's not, um, they're not singing along because it's like a sing-along song or sing-along moment. I don't think Nirvana ever... Um, had had crowd participation like that, <laughs> no. so it was just people in the audience singing along, just naturally. Yeah, which uh, yeah, which I think is uh, it's pretty uh, pretty cool. So uh, they had uh, they had a power cut uh, for that uh, to wait some time before it was restored, and uh, and uh, they started over with the Komishuar. And uh, I don't think we should uh, attach any meaning to it, but I thought it was interesting to uh, yeah. to point out. 
And also, I want to say that Kurt still sound. This is about halfway in the show, I think. Mm-hmm. And Kurt still sounds pretty okay to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because later a lot has been said about his uh, problems with his voice. And I suppose he was struggling, but he, he doesn't sound that bad, I think, at this uh, No, this no, stage. I agree. It It doesn't sound bad at all. I think that there's been worse uh, moments during that same period. I think if you listen to, for instance, the the final US and Canada shows around December and, and January, um, I think he sounds um, a lot worse there, um, doing a lot of screaming and not like <laughs> the, the, hmm. the, the good screaming, but, but more like just trying to trying to get some Blowing through anger and, and vocals out of it and and this is pretty um, um, well it sounds like he has it under control and and there's no weird weird sounds um, that that assume that he has big problems vocally no even though apparently he did oh I, I think the power is uh, coming back on yay Yes. If you uh, read about this um, period in their um, career, um, a lot of people describe it as that Kurt's voice was completely down the drain and he really could hardly sing anymore and he was afterwards he was uh, diagnosed with uh, with uh, bronchitis and i think maybe some other um uh, diseases as well I'm, I'm sure he did have some problems but on the other hand i think it also had to do with that he needed a, a legal reason to uh, abort the tour yep and not be sued and have to pay a lot of money for it <laughs> no exactly because as soon as they cancelled, apparently they they got a a note from a doctor saying that he should. I think it said yeah. that he needed like two months of rest. <laughs> I can totally get why if you were a doctor and you would take a look at Kurt, <laughs> you would tell him to go home and and get some rest because obviously, uh, apart from just messing up his body with. Too much drugs. Um, he had this stomach problems, and and I'm sure he had lots of other things going on. So yeah. And apparently, um, the doctor also told him to uh, sing, uh, learn to sing properly. But <laughs> he wasn't into that. I think he heard that quite uh, <laughs> quite some uh, time from uh, from uh, <laughs> doctors he visited. <laughs> yeah, Just... and I think he's not the only rock singer who has heard that from. <laughs> A doctor, so uh, yeah. No, even though a lot of rock singers who produce sounds that you think, oh, that can't be good, actually use the right techniques to do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Like like heavy metal singers doing. do doing grunting and stuff. They can do it every night because yep. they have it under control. And yep. I think Kurt sometimes had it under control and sometimes just lost control or 
um, or, did, or didn't did, care. Did, didn't bother or, or was didn't care. Too or... far out of it to to use his vocal techniques because you're right. He definitely did have vocal techniques um, that he used. So uh, yeah, he even though he maybe wasn't aware of, of of that, but no, but he ex- experimented and and sort of found what worked for him. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Um, and also some people have uh, come forward and said that uh, at some occasions they uh, suspect him uh, of trying to um, ruin his voice uh, on purpose <laughs> so he could get out of the the, the touring yeah. schedule and, and get some rest and, and yeah, because he just, just couldn't cope with it all. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And it's probably a very um, effective strategy. Yeah. I mean, if you can't sing anymore, then <laughs> exactly. you're... You can't perform. You can go home. That's uh, easy as that. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I, th- I think we're uh, we're up for our uh, the very last uh, song Nirvana ever played as a as a band. Yeah, yeah, it's the song that they uh, ended the the German show with. I do think it's nice that they ended the show that night with a heart shaped box, because as I've said before, uh, I think it's their best song. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, I like the the symbolism in that the very last song they ever performed is a great one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have a listen. I must say it does sound a bit strange that he uh, does the hey wait uh, a part. He, he sings it uh, a lower. Yeah, yeah. Like, he like just takes lower, it think? down an octave. Um, yeah, which I think is is it's interesting because that is a conscious choice, especially when you're used to not sing it like that. You you really need your mind turned on to actually go to that different note it doesn't come easy like that and the fact that he chose to do that 
sort of suggests that he does care about his voice and or how the show will sound because if by that time you don't care anymore, you can just shout it out and then those notes will sound crappy because apparently um, they were too high for the quality of his voice at that moment. I, you hear that sometimes with singers anyway, and they try it and then <laughs> it sounds sort of squeaky and they get back to, to the notes that they can do. Um, so he could have easily just screamed it out and, and just scream over it and make it sound crappy. Um, and he didn't. He took a conscious decision to lower those notes and make it sound good. Yeah. Weird. Not but as good as the, good. The, the, the okay, I mean, one. good yeah. as in. <laughs> It didn't sound like he was losing his voice or like whatever. Didn't um, care anymore or... Yeah. 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 So I I find that really interesting because that sort of suggests that he did care about the quality of the show, at least. Or maybe yeah, about his sure. voice. Um, yeah. Yeah. He cared about yeah. something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Nonetheless, um, after the show, um, the rest of the tour got canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think at at first, just the two dates that were coming after this, um, because at first, um, like they would have two more shows, I think, in Germany, and then they would have that sort of break in between and then go back to the second leg of the uh, European tour. And I think at first, only the um, two German uh, remaining two German dates were cancelled. Um, and then later on, obviously, the rest as well. Uh, but that was yeah. apparently the first plan. I think they weren't even cancelled, but actually rescheduled as well. Impossible. Probably somewhere at the end of the second part of, of the European tour or whatever. So uh, that was the plan, at least. Um, yeah, they were also supposed to uh, to go to uh, the Netherlands, but... Uh Never, never happened. No. I think uh, unused uh, uh, concert tickets are still uh, uh, like a, a, a trading business. Yeah, I can imagine. Quite, quite recently, uh, one was sold for about a uh, hundred euros, yeah. which isn't that much, but you know, it's just a concert ticket <laughs> <laughs> that was never used. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, you somebody made a profit on. Uh, of a ticket of a show that never um, came to be. But uh, yeah. yeah, apart from that, um, after they uh, canceled the upcoming shows, um, Kurt uh, flew to uh, Italy, yep. to Rome. Uh, I think uh, Pat was with him. Yep. And he met Courtney there. What happened there is was a big, big turning point in his life. Um, and I think, that's the point where we should uh, end um, this episode of the podcast and uh, pick it up next time. If yep, you, uh, I uh, I totally agree. Uh, this is a good moment to um, unfortunately uh, end this show on. And uh, usually, I'm really uh, thrilled to make another episode, but for the next one, I think oh, such a sad story to talk about. So I totally agree. Not really looking forward to it. Um, on the other hand. Um, yeah, let's let's try and and um, give it the uh, respect that it deserves, I guess. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's part of the Nirvana story, so yeah. Hey, and if you as a listener want to help us uh, get uh, through the next episode, 
um, you can uh, you can write us uh, maybe uh, share a bit of your own personal experience or views uh, uh, about um, uh, Kurt's uh, final days and uh, his uh, his death and yeah see if you can uh, help us out just a bit yeah that would be great to uh, to share some uh, share some memories and, and feelings with each other and uh, yeah so please do and uh, yeah well uh, I think there's nothing left to do but to thank uh, uh, Joop Hullegi uh, who was playing our theme uh, music mm-hmm. and uh, I want to thank you for uh, joining me once again yes and thank you for having me as always I say uh, thank you for listening and till the next time bye bye